Welcome to all those listening to the Insight Through Experience podcast, a podcast created for both the operators in OTC as well as operators in external units thinking about joining the organization. In these podcasts, we're going to be bringing you some highly successful operators, leaders, and training specialists who will be revealing their tools, tips, and techniques to help you achieve peak levels of performance. Now, sit back, take some notes, and use their experience as stepping stones for your personal success. You are listening to the Insight Through Experience Podcast. Welcome back to the Insight Through Experience Podcast, everybody. This week is going to be awesome. We're bringing you a team of our human performance experts. We're going to be discussing topics of how to prepare for operator selection, how to achieve some peak performance during operator selection, and also what the staff brings during the operator training course, as well as some other topics. You're going to be hearing from experts from strength and conditioning, physical therapy, nutrition, sports psychology, and from our performance sites in the organization. So this is going to be a good one. So go ahead and sit back, relax, grab a cold drink, grab a notebook, take some notes, and I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. Appreciate you tuning in to the Insight Through Experience podcast. All right, so we'll start off this week with our group psychologist, Chad, who's going to briefly go over what the HPO team provides, the 724. Thanks for having us, Trey. Uh, my name is Chad, command psychologist, the 724th. Uh, just briefly about my background, uh, I started supporting special tactics in 2009 in the assessment section selection program. Um, I went to a SEER school for three years between that to support that activity, and then I was assigned to 3-3-STS um, and NST since 2012 directly. I spent about three and a half years at the 2-3-STS as a psychologist, then I moved up to the 2-4-SAL where I uh, was a psychologist uh, and basically supported and ran the uh, selection programs for the theater side of special tactics. I came up here to special ta- uh, 724th in 2017 and have been here for about three years um, doing this job. Right now, I, I kind of serve two roles. One is the command psychologist, the other is the HPO director. Uh, and regarding HPO, uh, writ large, we have 51 different people uh, that make up that team uh, and a tons of different specialists. They fall into four different pillars. So we have chaplains and chaplains assistants, we have medics that range from you know, ER docs to physicians assistants to uh, veterinarians to take care of uh, the medical side. We have a psychology pillar and we also have a HP pillar, which is our uh, human performance, so our physical therapists, athletic trainers, and uh, dietitians. So those 51 people, they really do three core jobs here. Uh, they, we split the, the people into three bins is, is probably a better way to say that, Trey. We look at how we bring people into the organization, we look how we take care of people while they're operating in the organization, and we look at how we transition people out of the organization. We have programs that are developed to take care of those three different groups for bringing people in. Uh, we have a peak performance program, which you'll hear about uh, later in this program. We also have a reset process, which is tied to the JORT cycle, so it makes mandatory appointments sitting down with all the HPO specialists to make sure you can continue in the fight for as long as you need to. And then we have a transition program, which means that you're going to leave this organization well set up to go on to the next phase of your life. In those three bins, we also have five lines of efforts that the HPO team does for the organization. The first one is assessment and selection. Everyone in this organization, all 64 AFSCs are assessed and select uh, and hired into this organization. So you're going to work with some of the best people in the Air Force. 
The second thing we do is just pure sustainment, which is how we take care of you, your families, uh, from those four specialties, all the way from your flight physicals to if you need any kind of preventative care uh, or any kind of tertiary care. The next thing is medical training. So we had to do a lot of advanced medical training for all of our FSCs here. Uh, and you'll, you'll enroll in that um, and be trained throughout OTC, but also through your time at the 2-4 or the other units. The last two are development or coaching. So we have coaching programs that start from when you come into the organization to you leave the organization and everything between those. There's one-on-one, -on -one, there's group, there's troop training. That's all to make sure that we can make you a better person when you came here. When you leave here, you're, you're better than you were. And the last one is the operational support for activities uh, that are related to your operational skills. And then also performance enhancement, which is really Ben's lane, which you'll hear about in a little bit. The last thing I'll say is those 51 people that do those, do those five lines of effort are all embedded as close as they can to you. So when you get to OCC, OTC, you'll have a whole team at the debt that, that takes care of you and your family. When you go to the 2-4 or the other units, you'll also have a team of specialists that take care of you. So the closer we get to you, the more intimacy and trust we have, and the better we're able to get to prevention, which is the goal for the HBO team. I'm always blown away by the robustness. Every time you brief that, I'm blown away. So I hope the operators and even the support AFSCs are sitting out there thinking about the organization or maybe coming up here, that you hear that and just realize that this place is a little bit different. And uh, it's just, to me, it's a magical place uh, to be a part of because of all the things that surround you, all the support that surrounds you when you're here. All right, so let's go into uh, the introductions for each of our panel members. So we'll start off with Barb. Hello, everyone. Um, Trey, thanks for having me. So my background is fairly similar to Chad's. I'm an operational psychologist, um, except I was um, active duty Army and Army Reserves prior to coming to the 724. So uh, again, spent a lot of time on the Army side doing assessment and selection, uh, SEER school and uh, deployment supporting different types of operations. So um, I've been at the 724 for about three and a half years now. I'm on the RASD team, so the Recruit, Assess, Select, and Develop team that was mentioned. And I spend about half of my time supporting assessment and selection and the other half on the development portion, which if you do come to this unit, the very least you will see me is at your selection feedback appointment with me where I'll go over your you know, um, personality and, and IQ assessments. And then beyond that, um, I help develop team and individual personal and professional development. Yeah, my name is Ben. I fill the uh, sports psychology role here. Um, I work primarily with our training detachment. So when you come here for OTC, you'll see quite a bit of me on um, before OTC starts and then throughout OTC. Our primary goal there is to, um, as Chad mentioned before, performance enhancement. So we're going to look at it from the mental uh, side, but we're also going to look at it very holistically as I integrate quite a bit with our, our HP folks uh, in your strength and conditioning sessions. Um, and, and some of those other areas so that we can provide that holistic uh, approach to uh, training and development and just overall performance enhancement. I also work a little bit in assessment and selection, so you'll see me at a and and uh, that's about it. So Lance, uh, I'm the human performance advisor here at 724. I've been here for uh, just over a year now. Um, been in the soft uh, pot of community since 2010, started on the Army side as a strength and conditioning coach with 3rd Special Forces Group. Uh, really here at 724, we were integrated just like Chad and Barb and Ben have all uh, alluded to. Uh, we all have our specific troops that we take care of. 
um, the training course that we take care of and selection that we uh, assist with. So it's, it runs a full gamut of support uh, throughout the group. Um, a little more on the background, I was also in collegiate athletics in the NFL for a little bit. That's where I got my start. Yeah. Hi, I'm Lou. I am a physical therapist, athletic trainer here. I have been at the unit for a little over four years now. Came at the beginning of 2016. Um, prior to that, I worked in sports doing um, as an athletic trainer, obviously working in the collegiate setting often, and then I worked at Athletes Performance or Exos with athletes all the way from youth up to professional, and then um, people also who had carried that out into um, tactical and military careers you see at their facility. Once I started here, my role has looked different over the years as our team has grown now, um, but currently you'll see me um, as responsible for OTC doing a lot of the baseline treatment and education with that, but we also as our staff share a lot of the load for group training and then also just obviously treating the entire unit um, for all of their injuries. Uh, hi guys, um, my name is Callie and I'm the performance dietitian here at the 724. I've been here for just about a year. Um, I have background not only in nutrition and dietetics, but I also am an exercise physiologist. Um, prior to coming here, I worked a little bit at the Army Third, group, or Third Special Forces Group um, in nutrition as well. And I also had a little bit of a stint with Washington State University in the collegiate setting as a sports dietitian. Um, currently, as part of the HP team, um, some of the key roles, we work very cohesively um, as a team. And I not only am working with a rehab shop, working such as like pre and post rehab nutrition, um, also looking at body comps, blood works. I work very closely with the strength coaches for fueling for specific strength programs um, and overall just fueling optimization for your specific field training scenarios. All right. Thanks for those intros. Hopefully the audience can hear just from the introductions themselves, how much experience that we have here. And that's, we're talking, this is only a minor part of those 51 people that Chad we're talking about makes up our HPO enterprise. So just an amazing amount of experience. And I've watched the integration from the first person that showed up here to where we are now. And it's just amazing. If you are an operator, this place is where you can come and just have the biggest support network surrounding you so you can just perform your job and not have to worry about much else. Just a, uh, an incredible place to be. And for an operator, an incredible place to work so you can do what you came in to do without a lot of other worries. All right, so each of you looking through the lens of your individual roles inside the HPO team, what's one thing the operator can do? What's, what's that one thing they can prepare for mentally or physically to get ready for operator selection? Right. So, um, you know, the, the first thing I always like to put out is when guys are um, in the uh, introductory brief uh, coming to ANS, uh, we always ask them, you know, how many of you prepared physically uh, to come here? And everybody in the uh, class is going to raise their hands. When we ask the second question, or when I do, uh, it's about their mental preparation and how many guys actually prepared mentally. And roughly about 30% will raise, raise their hands on that one. I think a lot of times that's simply because people don't know um, exactly what mental preparation looks like. So um, if you're prepping uh, to come here, uh, there are plenty of good books out there that uh, go over psychological skills, um, mental performance training topics, uh, just mental performance areas. Uh, pick one up, uh, read about it so you understand some of the concepts in it. And then really the concepts you need to start applying into your physical training in the gym as well as your technical tactical training and just building it in as part of a holistic plan to develop yourself 
um, and not just um, automatically assume that your physical training is going to make you mentally tougher, um, if you will. That's the biggest suggestion I have right now. Uh, really honing in on those energy systems is, is going to make the most hay that you can have uh, lead you to success. That will also allow for a lot more mental clarity as you're going through. Um, with the nervous system being tied into that energy system, the more complex the movement, the problem solving is going to be, the more in shape you are cardiovascular-wise, the better off your skill set's going to be retained throughout the selection process. Um, one thing I would definitely focus on, I think everyone knows this, is, is every variety of grip strength. If I'm hanging on to something, holding on to something, crushing something, I'm going to need that in this selection. I, I know that for sure. So lower body strength is paramount. Can I, can I do anything single-legged? Most things that you're going to be doing in movement involve a single-leg stance. So you better be ready for that. And pairing that with some type of core uh, stability, anti-rotation, um, because you're going to get off balance. You're going to be put in weird positions. Your body's going to get fatigued. And how much control do you have over the rest of your body, the crossroads of the body, the, the core, you know, coming from the hips all the way up through the torso is paramount with that. Uh, another thing to think about is what type of recovery modalities am I going to be using? What do you have access to at your training facility? Do you have access to any type of trigger point therapy? Do you have uh, foam rollers for myofascial release? Do you have Normatec boots? Do you have a cold plunge? Anything like that will aid in it. Yeah, I think a lot of people know that they have to prepare physically, and mine kind of goes without saying that you want to take care of your injuries, but like truly take care of them if you have the capacity to have, you know, if you have a physical therapist or athletic trainer with you, making sure that you're consistent, not just being treated, but um, learning how to do some of that for yourself. There's going to be a lot of time um, where you need to understand how your body works, what it's telling you, and the more you can learn to take care of it in regards to getting on a mobility program um, and not just that, but also knowing how to stabilize your body. That's going to keep you from um, like a lesser likelihood of injury during the fatigue that happens while you're here. Uh, there's a lot of resources for that. There's the GoWad app. There's a lot of places you can go if you don't have a team that supports you currently. But those little injuries are going to be the things that the weakest link, as people say, when the stressors start to get to you and you start to break down, those untaking care of injuries are going to be what probably breaks first physically. Yeah, from the nutrition side, I firmly believe that failure to plan is planning to fail. Um, and just as you're preparing your bodies physically, mentally, um, having proper nutrition and hydration throughout the whole train-up will not only allow a better strength and endurance gains, kind of like Lance is talking about, but also you'll be promoting recovery and preventing injury from the performance rehab side. And it, you want to come into this feeling the best that you possibly can. You are walking into a very mentally, physically challenging um, experience. And if you are training properly with the proper fueling strategies, um, you are setting yourself up for a better success later on. Um, so if you have access to a dietitian at your unit, I highly encourage you to utilize them as you are doing your train up. And if not, there are gonna be some resources that our shop kind of makes for the website that you can look at too. Um, if you have any nutrition questions on there, hopefully you can get some information. Awesome, thanks. Barbara, how about from your perspective? So yeah, so this one is going to sound a bit simple, 
but it is just know thyself. Um, it sounds simple, but it absolutely is not. Uh, one of the things that will get in your way is if you are using extra energy and extra time and extra, I guess, um, just psychic, uh, psyching yourself out when you get here. We're going to put you through some things that are going to challenge you. And those challenges, um, within those challenges, we ask you some questions about yourself and about others around you. And we also ask others around you about you. And if you don't have those things figured out already, then it makes selection just that much more work. Um, but when you do have those things figured out, when you know yourself really well, um, then it doesn't matter what's happening around you because you have a firm foundation. So in order to do those things, you need to do the deep work yourself by obviously thinking about your strengths, your weaknesses, um, what trips you up and where you do well at. When you are tripped up, what gets you back on track? Um, you can do that through some reading as well. And then it's crucial that you get feedback from others before you come here, just to know how you're perceived by others and what they believe your strengths and weaknesses are. Knowing yourself also includes knowing your why. And this is one of the harder things to get to. I think most people believe they already know their why, but I'm talking deep down. Why do you believe you are here on this earth? And why does you coming to selection, um, how is that aligned with your why? And I truly believe that if you do know your why, you can bear whatever is going to happen to you at selection. And not only bear it, but you will succeed. So um, knowing yourself really well not only gives you less work, but it increases your ability to focus when you're at selection. I will say that one of the biggest distractions um, we get from guys is just this rumination on what cadre are thinking about you and how they're evaluating you and maybe what others are thinking about you. So um, that would be my advice to know thyself. I think I would just uh, reiterate what Barb said, but I think a, a very actionable way to do that is if you have a unit psych in your in your formation, or even if you don't, I would get your troop together and just ask for feedback in a simple format, like what should I start doing to do better, stop doing to do better, continue doing to, to do well. Uh, I think it will give you actionable things that you can think of when you come here. I think we say, kind of like Barb said, we want to hire insightful people that know how to mitigate weaknesses and capitalize on strengths. And if you don't know that thing, you probably won't be able to be successful here. Yeah, Chad, from conversations I've had with operators when they come up to selection, I ask them, do they use their psychologist to help for the mental side? And I would say 90% of the guys did not use any help in that mental prep. Shape that for them right now. What does that conversation sound like when they go in there to ask their psychologist to help for uh, selection prep? I would say uh, it's as simple as that. I think if they know where that person sits, Hopefully the person that sits in their unit knows how to do a 360 feedback or set up a feedback mechanism for them. I think most of the times when I was at the 2-3, when guys came to the 7-2-4 uh, and they asked a question, most people know how to get in contact either with the people at the 7-2-4 or have the general skill set where they can help them get better via strength and conditioning, dietitian, or psychology, strength or uh, PT stuff. So I would say just ask the question and then, you know, we can, we can help the unit psychs get better at doing that if we need to. I think that's the point I want people to take away is no matter which modality we're talking about, have your people contact our people because we're not hiding things up here. We want you to be successful when you get here. We're going to give you some tips on how to prepare. So when you come get on the stage, you're ready and um, things we don't want you to feel like it's a secret. So anyway, moving over to physical preparation, 
Uh, so just so the audience knows, every selection we ask a few questions at the end and we have them rate the difficulty of selection. And over the last several years, candidates have rated the physical parts of selection a 9.9 .9 out of 10. Most of them will admit that it's the hardest thing they've ever done in their life. So Lance, this is, this is oriented towards you. Knowing what you know about selection now, what are some of the key pieces if you were programming somebody, and I know that we had Billy come through, so you guys have actually done this in the recent past. Um, what does that workup plan kind of look like? What are generalities and, and what should they be doing to get ready for this process? Yeah, just, I mean, Billy just absolutely crushed uh, selection in my, my view. Um, and really, it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning, right? Like, have a plan, stick to it, have it periodized out. Um, what we want to do is focus on that aerobic capacity at the very beginning. That's going to lay down the ground base for everything else that's going to follow. You can never get rid of that. Um, make sure that you're hitting every energy system. Uh, I would mix them within every week that we would have, you know, a lactate day. Um, we would have an aerobic day. We'd have a, a creatine phosphate type of day. So, I mean, really, if you get down to the nitty-gritty, our lactate, is gonna be more from like 60 seconds to 120 seconds. We're gonna do like a one to two, one to three work rest ratio on that. Um, our aerobic day is gonna be over two minutes, probably leading up to hours worth of rucking, biking, anything like that. Um, and our alactic is gonna be more of that immediate burst of where we wanna get balls to the wall. How fast can you run on that woodway curve for 10 straight seconds? and then recover for 50 seconds. And what's your capacity to be able to repeat that over and over and over again? Um, an another thing that you really have to look at is, it's a load carrying event, right? Everywhere you go, you're gonna have that tick sucking something out of you, that ruck sucking the energy out of you. How much time are you spending under the ruck? What type of interval training are you doing under a ruck? What type of aerobic capacity are you doing? Are you actually wearing the ruck in the weight room and maybe doing some different lifts with it? Am I doing lunges, step-ups, anything like that where I have to stabilize it? I have to keep it from rotating me from side to side. Um, that, that, that would be the biggest thing, the energy system development. I, I think in the strength world, it, I, Herb Brooks, the hockey coach from, uh, you know, Miracle, the 1980s, where the USA beat Russia, he said, uh, legs feed the wolves, right? So you have to have those legs to be able to run for days. You can't break down, right? So you have to put all those together on top of single leg stance, strength training, stability. You have to hit every factor of, of the uh, hip if you're doing drop lunges, reverse lunges, step ups, anything like that. Um, Upper body is important, but lower body is going to be the key. If I'm going to hit that upper body, it's not going to be a lot of bench pressing. It's going to be more, you know, overhead pressing, angled pressing, uh, hit a lot of grip work with it. We know how in, in, uh, important that is for the selection. Um, and, and just feeding into, you know, Ben's side of the world, right? Your energy system, you know, the alactic systems, the central nervous system, that's most important so you could actually overlap some of what ben does like he does in our weight room every day is am i doing this energy system development then what mental training can i do on top of that do i have a second and when my heart rate is at 170 can i focus and be 
really concise with the movement that I have to do and really take in all the information I need. And then when my heart rate gets back down to a, a buck 40, buck 30, can I repeat that all over again? And how, how can I train my body to do that? Um, I, I think that guys are great at pushing themselves and, and falling more into what Lou was talking about in the beginning. What am I doing to pay in for recovery so that I can go hard the next day? Am I doing those recovery modalities? Am I, as, am I doing the myofascial release? Am I doing the corrective exercises that I know that I have poor internal shoulder rotation, so I need to work that out? Um, my thoracic extension is looking like a refrigerator right now and won't move. So what can I do after I get out of that rock to prepare me to be able to go the next day and really put in the effort that needs to happen for me to be successful at this event? Lance, what about like if I'm that guy doing all of this, what's too much and how do I know it's too much? And this will tie into Lou as well, but like how do I know it was too much? Because uh, we don't want them showing up here overtrained and not right. ready to perform as well. So how do they know? Right. I, I mean, I think you have to keep detailed notes of what you're doing in the weight room. And, and are my lips going down as my times are my times getting worse? You know, you know, have your, your baseline set of um, tests that you're going to do, whether it's, you know, a 12 mile rock, you know, a, a mile and a half run, whatever it is to have measurables. So you need to baseline yourself in the beginning and then you could quarterly test yourself or, you know, every three weeks test yourself. Also build in recovery days during the, the train up. So one, one thing that we like to do up here is, is build into what we call more of a rebound type of workout to where, We'll do a warm up with guys, then we'll get them on the bike and do uh, a high intensity continuous training where you set the resistance up as high as you can. You maintain the uh, revolutions on the bike at about 40. Um, your heart rate is going to be around 130, 140. You're going to ride that for 15 minutes. That actually pushes you into a recovery area, but you're still getting that aerobic work done. Um, are you taking recovery weeks? Are you, are you taking a deload week? to ramp back up. So am I paying the price for that? So if my lifts are going down, if my performance is decreasing, which everyone should constantly assess themselves, that's why they're coming to selection, right? So if I know that I'm getting worse off physically, I have to take a step back and say, all right, where's my volume? What's my intensity? Do I need to adjust this? One of the first questions we ask everybody, and I'm just, this is a tip for everybody out there. The first question we ask is, did you use your strength coaches at the unit before you showed up and still half of let's not say half let's say at least a quarter or more say they did their own programming and it usually we can see that within the first 10 minutes that we start any physical prep or any physical uh, event you, you know that's that's a shocker to me i've met a lot of the strength and conditioning coaches out i think i know most of them um within st now and and every single one of them are are highly qualified individuals and i would recommend everyone go out and search you know, their expertise, you know, no one should know you better than yourself, except for your strength and conditioning coach or your PT that, that sees, okay, maybe here's your weakness and let's work on that, you know. So this generic, uh, I don't know, military athlete type of workout might not be great for you for what you need to work on. Yeah, perfect. Lou, moving over to the physical therapy side, how do you see this? Yeah, Lance took a lot of them. <laughs> he did a great job covering a lot of it. Like, 
Besides the recovery aspect that Lance said, I would say the biggest thing you can do is also just have a really good movement quality. Uh, Lance mentioned a lot about quantity um, and just how to go about that. But if it's not good, if it's not high quality, um, you eventually will also experience the downturn of that. Um, if you are not being as efficient as possible with your movement and you come up here and you try to do a lot of it, you need your efficiency. So just learning good movement patterns and really taking care of, hey, do I have all of that motion? Do I, am I able to control myself in a squat in with a ruck on my back? Am I able to also treat myself and those movement patterns once I no longer have a ruck on my back? Um, that's gonna be one of the biggest keys to your longevity, not just if you come here, but in general as somebody who has a very physical job, um, maintaining really high movement quality is going to give you the best amount of longevity. I would say one of the biggest things to consider is that it takes time to build in these characteristics. Um, you cannot, strength takes at least four to eight weeks to see any adaptive change and actually tissue size and um, neuromuscular system can be trained faster than that but the truth is I know that you're not always at a place to take you know six months and really build up but that's optimal uh, to be smart about it there's an expertise that can be applied to the physical realm just like there is to the job that you're applying for that you can work smart you can take those six months to really build in some eccentric strength that's going to be huge as far as injury mitigation goes the guys need to be able to manage load over a long period of time and one of the best ways to do that is some like lance said eccentric training but in multiple planes you're going to be covering a lot of ground and a lot of different surfaces um, and in a lot of different ways so taking that time to build that base is going to be really important for injury prevention as Lance already said to the recovery aspect, we want you guys to be able to train in the rain, but we don't necessarily want you to train in the rain. We want you to come here being recovered and at your peak so that, because you're gonna have enough stressors, you're gonna have enough things that fatigue you. You don't want to come in already in that state. Your body needs time to be prepared so that then it can be ready to perform at its highest level. And if you come here already taxed, uh, you have that much left in the tank to give during what's already a really difficult time. So, um, and then to add on to what Lance said about how can you know that you're doing too much, I think the other part of that is Lance and Ben can add in on this, but looking at your heart rate, like are you constantly training in a, you know, 180, 190 heart rate and you're never taking a day off? Like you may not experience the the repercussions of that in a month or two. But if you try to continue doing that, you will eventually and your body will break. Um, so that's one way to look at it. And Ben has, a, am sure, a lot of, and Lance have a lot of ways that they can um, help guys control that sort of variable in their workouts. That's definitely one part of system fatigue. And then also just like a subjective questionnaire, like, hey, if I take this little questionnaire like every day and I say like, oh, look, my, um, I feel super fatigued this week if I look across time compared to two weeks ago and I'm continually rating myself as like a three out of 10 on the I feel rested scale, like that should also be something. It's hard to always tell like that you feel different if you don't have, like Lance said, writing it down, keeping a journal of those variables. Awesome. Callie, how does nutrition play into this for these guys before they get here? 
Yeah, definitely. So even bouncing off of a little bit of what Lance and Lou have said already is it's almost like you are going to be training your body very hard coming in and we want you to be at your peak when you get here because you are kind of going to, you're going to go through some suck for a little bit. Um, same thing with nutrition is that if you are under fueling and being dehydrated throughout your whole train up process, that is going to immediately set you up for failure and make this a lot more difficult on you. Um, not only for training wise. So, I mean, okay, for your weights in the gym, you can physically track that and see numbers go up. Even if your nutrition is kind of mediocre, you may still just naturally be able to go in, get some gains in the gym. How much better can you be if you are properly fueling your body? Um, so you're looking for a balance plate. Um, if you can imagine what a just a kitchen plate um, and put it into like a peace sign, you're going to have adequate carbs, adequate fat, adequate protein. But you're looking at what am I actually fueling my body for? Um, am I able to fuel my workouts and fuel my recovery just to make sure that I am taking my body to the next level. Um, weeding in, especially that week prior to coming into selection. Um, usually you're gonna have some deload in all of your strength and conditioning, so you're gonna kinda be a little bit lower level um, activity. That does not mean that you need to just like stop eating or anything either. Still trying to find that balance plate and making sure that you are not under fueling. One of the key factors that I really Kind of zone in on is hydration. Do not come in dehydrated at all. Um, when you are in a stressful situation, if you are, you're already going to have like an increased muscle metabolism. Um, you're going to be firing a lot more neurologically, concentration-wise. You're going to be amped up, hyped up. Training dehydrated, your heart is not only going to have to work harder, but you're going to have an increased um, heat production and a decreased sweat production. Um, so endurance is going to go down. Your mental performance is going to go down based on concentration, everything else. So if you are coming in to selection dehydrated, you're already setting yourself up for not a fun time. Um, so something that you can be watching out for is you can make sure that you're consuming foods that have sodium included, or otherwise you can be lightly salting your foods throughout the day and that week leading up. Um, hydration wise, everyone's gonna be a little bit different based on body size, based on the location of the country that you might be in, if it's hot and humid or a little bit cool. Um, so I can't give you specific recommendations on how much you yourself you should be drinking. That's gonna be a little bit variation. However, what you can look for is that first morning void that you wake up check for urine color. You're gonna be aiming for something that looks like lemonade. It's something so simple, but that's a really good self-reflection that you can do, um, not only based on electrolytes, so that sodium component, but then just fluids overall. Um, another thing that I have had guys comment about, and this is more of the culture of diet and nutrition in general right now as a whole, is I think a lot of people are a little more carb afraid. Um, and that's not necessarily a thing that you should be concerned about. Um, think of yourself as a car and you need to fuel that car. Carbs are our body's natural fuel source. So you should not be avoiding carbs. You're trying to choose the right balance of carbs and how to utilize that. Um, so some guys may be like, you know what, during training, I was eating maybe a little bit more, more low carb crap. Now all of a sudden I need to jump in and 
eat a lot of carbs due to carbo loading right before selection. Not necessarily. Um, you want to make sure that you have optimal glycogen stores, aka your fuel. Um, however, you don't want to increase your carb intake so drastically that week leading up that you actually end up holding on to so much water and you feel bogged down and sluggish coming to selection. Um, you're just going to, once again, kind of start yourself off not on the best foot. So it's really just trying to make sure you're maintaining balance, not only with your plate and your fueling, but your hydration as a whole leading up to that selection. Awesome input. We're going to move over to uh, Ben right now and talk about some um, mental prep. And I wanted to get Chad and Barb's input on this as well. But uh, the same thing, we asked the candidates questions at the end of selection, how mentally challenging was it? And over the last two years, they've rated a nine out of 10 in difficulty. So you can hear, you can see just out of these ratings that the process is freaking hard. So Ben, what are some of the things the guys can institute in the preparation uh, that can get them some tangible results when they get here? Um, yeah, Trey. So uh, number one, um, check your mindset. So I'll start off with a quote from one of the guys who came through uh, ANS um, back in the fall. He said, I was determined to make it through selection. I think the constant negative feedback started to get in my head and make me overthink the events and how I should respond. My mindset was to come here and be myself and trust the process. Over the course of the week, though, the constant internal focus driven by the emphasis on feedback started making me question myself. So I always start with, you know, check your mindset. Um, you're you're going to experience those types of things once you get to selection. But if you're more familiar with checking your mindset prior to getting here, you're more likely to do it when you get here so that you're regulating that just a little bit more effectively. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing I always like to talk about, and this will be covered in, in those uh, the books, um, if you will, that I mentioned you should be reading beforehand, but uh, they're, the, they're the big four, right? The big four of, of mental skills training you can find in, in most of those books I, I had uh, mentioned before as well, but goal setting, um, positive or effective self-talk, uh, some kind of relaxation technique, whether it's a, a keyword or whether it's some kind of a breath technique that you're um, used to using, and then visualization. You should be using um, some mix of those uh, skills and techniques, not necessarily all of them, um, but something that's going to work for you and that you can integrate fairly seamlessly, um, hopefully uh, to where you can get it into a, an automatic um, or develop some automaticity with it before you get here so that you can put it into play right when you get here. And then finally, to, uh, to uh, Lou's point and to Lance's point, right? Uh, you know, one thing I think we do here uh, pretty well is to try to integrate the mental, the mental with the physical training. And I think that's hugely effective. You know, guys don't have a lot of time here. Um, so when they come to the gym, you know, that's one reason why I sit in the gym is so that I can integrate stuff there because otherwise they may not do it. They may not give it another thought and they may be depending on uh, the gym work, uh, their, their technical and tactical training, combatives or whatever else uh, to also develop the, the mental side. And that's not always the case. So uh, Lance mentioned one way that we do that here is to um, incorporate some kind of heart rate monitoring to where you're engaging those relaxation techniques during your training um, to um, consciously focus on decelerating your, decelerating your heart rate, uh, and you get the objective measures, which, which is always, you know, honestly super cool because from a mental standpoint, it's not always easy to objectify, and that's one way that we can look at, hey, this is a technique you're using, and now we're looking at heart rate in relation to that. So I think that's a really good practice that most guys can be um, utilizing. Uh, I think another thing, too, you know, guys, you know, in this community don't have an issue, you know, ramping it up um, and going redline. Um, it's just coming back down that they're they're not very good at, and so you know putting into uh, to practice some proper recovery strategies following the workout 
Uh, and then using there again, heart rate in, in relation to that is a great way to do it. Look at your, your heart rate 10 minutes prior to your workout. Look at your heart rate 10 minutes after your workout. And they should be, you know, kind of the same or, or pretty close to it. Um, and so uh, just having some kind of, you know, regulation or self-regulation technique and tactic um, you're putting into play can be very effective during that um, strength and conditioning. The other thing, too, in terms of um, strength and conditioning and related to the physical realm in terms of how can you maximize physical training without overtraining, there's a lot of pretty, pretty decent research out there now about putting mentally fatiguing exercises prior to your physical training. So in other words, if, you're, if you will do like 20, 30 minutes of mental, uh, mentally taxing um, training, whether it's specific like brain training, quote unquote, or even it could be something as, you know, focusing 30 minutes on reading a chapter of a book. Um, but if you'll position that prior to like a rock um, or something that's, you know, low in terms of uh, technical demand, um, but that's going to be uh, requiring a, a good amount of aerobic endurance, um, that's a good way to make that physical training feel a lot harder because your brain's fatigued. And when your brain's fatigued, the physical part just feels a little bit harder. Um, so it's a good way to um, actually maximize that physical training, especially if it's a recovery day. That's all I've got on that. Uh, yeah, I want to foot stomp something here real quick because a lot of guys show up here. They know they should have prepped mentally. They really don't know how. Ben's offering you a lot of great things. But those big four he's talking about, goal setting, self-talk, having a cue word, some visualization, every guy that comes through the process wishes they would have done something in the middle of the process. So take what Ben's saying. When you get here, be able to apply some of this in the moment. Be ready for it, and then it's going to help you out tremendously because these times are going to come where you're going to need one of these things or several of these things, and if you're not prepared, uh, you are going to sit there and ruminate like Barb was saying earlier, wishing that you had done something different. So, Barb, Chad, what do you all think about uh, the mental prep for selection? So there's a few things um, from my perspective that I would advise uh, the guys coming to selection. One would be regarding their expectations, you know, like what they think is going to happen to them kind of physically and mentally and what some of the events are going to look like, um, who, who else is going to be here, that kind of thing. Um, I would advise them to lose all of that. Do not come with preconceived notions about what selection is going to be like. We hear over and over from guys going through it, having just gone through it, that that's what tripped them up is that they expected one thing and it turned out to be something else. So do yourself a favor. And when you start to find yourself making assumptions, because your, your brain's going to try to do that because your brain is set for survival and you're going to try to plan out your survival. And um, it's just better when you can catch yourself and then wipe the slate clean again. Whatever you have to tell yourself to just wipe that sl slate clean because um, you want to make expectations internally rather than have any expectations about the external or about anything specific. So internally, you can set as many expectations as you want, and that may even help you as you strategize uh, mentally and physically coming to selection. The other thing would be, um, as to the degree that, to which you can, make sure that your life outside of selection is stable. Because when you are tired and when you are hungry and when you are stressed, your body and your brain are going to start reminding you of all these other things that you have to worry about. And you don't want any more distractions than you already have. So do what you can to get your finances in order to make sure your relationships are, you know, on the right track. And then the third thing I would say is self-stability. 
So dealing with, I would put these two at the top. Um, what is humility to you? What does it mean? Um, one of my favorite quotes says that uh, humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. So in, in essence, just um, having that place you can go to internally um, where you are calm no matter what's going on around you, um, and then fear. Um, what are your thoughts on fear? When do you feel afraid? And what do you do with that? So those are the three things I would um, suggest they deal with prior to coming to selection. This is gold. Chad, how about you? I would say simply the best you can do to predict and set up predictability and control on yourself before you come up here is what's going to help you through this environment. So I think we look at using some of the skills Ben said. I would encourage people about 30 days out that they should be doing one of those, let's just say breathing techniques about every 90 minutes so they can go to this prevention stage of physiological arousal or energy management, right? So if they're, if they're starting 30 days out and every 90 minutes they're resetting themselves through say breathing, uh, they're going to be calmer and cooler and collector when they get here and they'll train their bodies when they're up here. If they don't have a watch and they don't know when 90 minutes is about when they should do that. The other portion is that is understand when your stress goes up. So again, for me, when I get hot in the face, I know I'm stressed. So if these people know what their stress signals are, then they can terminate that stress response, right? So if you're doing it every 90 minutes and you, and you bring yourself back to a baseline and you're doing it when you get stressed and you bring yourself to a baseline, you set up your own predictability and control, which will be the only thing that you can predict and control through the whole two-week experience. It will help you perform through that. So it just gives you the mental aspect of controlling what you can control and predicting your arousal as you can. And I would do that 30 days out so you kind of get acclimated and that becomes a habit for you. All right, everybody, that's it this week for the Insight Through Experience podcast. This week, we brought you part one with our HPO experts. We got through most of the selection process. We still got a couple of things to clean up next week, and then we're going to move into the operator training course um, information and figure out how the HPO team plugs into the experience going through OPC and a couple of other things about the organization as well. So I hope the value is there for everybody that's listening. I hope you have a great week. Tune in next week the Insight Through Experience podcast. Thanks for coming along.